Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. I pray as we discuss this idea of idols this morning, Lord, that we will be one willing to accept whether or not we have idols in our life, but two, Lord, that we will learn the effects and the things that they do in our life uh, when, we, when we allow them to take your place, Lord. Father, I pray that today and every day that we will live to honor you, and we ask, Lord, that you will speak to us this morning as we open your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. If you remember two weeks ago, we started our series on idols. And I think this is, this is one of those series that I'm very excited because it's something that we, we hint on church, we mention it in church, but we don't necessarily like spend a lot of time talking about idols. And the reality is whether you want to accept it or not, whether I want to accept it or not, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with things in our life that, we take, that take the place that, it was on, that is only meant for God, things in our life that are only, we take things in our life that, uh, and allow them to take the place that is only meant for God. And we have talked about this idea of idols, and we talk about how throughout history, you know, you see religions, you see people, you see a group of, of gatherings that they take things and they present this, uh, whether it's an image, whether it's a, a, an object or something with the goal of demonstrating what it is that they're worshiping. We talk about how there is a desire within us to worship something. There's a desire within us to put all of our awe, all of our attention, all of our devotion to something. And that devotion, that, that desire, that, that thing that we have within us that wants us to do that, it's, it's a design that is started with God in our heart so that we will put that towards him. We have a desire in our heart so that we will worship, so that we will honor, so that we will devote ourselves to God. But the reality is that circumstances, our desires, our self-centeredness, those things will drive us to put that desire, to put that focus on something else and not on God. And so we talk about idols. And now we talk about, I don't know if you remember two weeks ago, I had like a little image, kind of like what we do in the Dominican Republic uh, as a souvenir, but it represented what some of the natives used to worship. See, they will worship the gods of fertility. And so they will create this image as a god of fertility, and they will devote themselves to, to those things. They will offer sacrifice. They would do everything that they thought that they needed to do in order to make that god happy so that the god of fertility will bless them. And when we mean fertility, we're not necessarily mean like them having uh, babies and things like that, although that's often was the case, but also fertility for the land, fertility for possessions, fertility for things like that. And so we talk about how throughout history, you think about religions like Catholics, you think about when you go to a Catholic church, you go in there, there's images about anything. They, they have images on Mother Mary, they have images on saints, they have images on all, all of these different things things that they will devote themselves to worship, to pray for, to ask for help. And how we look at those things, and maybe you here in this room, you don't feel like that is something that you wrestle with, and so it has never hit in you. It has never hit you that the reality that maybe you have idols. If we were to go out around and asking, do you have idols in your life? Because you don't do those things, you may feel like, yeah, you're right, Eric. I don't have idols in my life. What you're saying to me right now doesn't 
It's not something that I need to hear. I don't wrestle with idols. But then we talk about this song, and I'm going to read it again just so that it kind of like, I love the way that this song will define what an idol is, to put things into perspective. But this son will say, that, uh, this uh, uh, artist will say, anything I put before my God is an idol. So think about anything in your life that you put before God, whether it's relationships, whether it's possessions, whether it's your, you know, your, your feelings, your desires, what you, something that you want in your life, anything that you put before God is an idol. And now you see that this definition of idol that is so broad is now narrowing down because I'm certain and I'm sure that there are things in your life, things in my life that we do put before God. Think about sports, think about your class, think about your friendships like we talk about, think about those particular and specific things in your life that you do put before God and how they are now idols. He goes to say anything that you want with all your heart is an idol. Anything that you want with all your heart is an idol. What is that one thing that you want with all your heart? What is the one thing that you really, really want in this life? Will you say that that is God? Would you say that it's to live a life that honors him? Will you say that it's to be a Christian that devotes himself to what the Bible teaches? Or would it be other things? And then he proceeds and says, anything I can stop thinking is an idol. What is the thing that you cannot stop thinking? What is that consumes you at night when you're laying in bed? What is that you, doesn't matter how much you try, it's just there. And you think that you will never accomplish life, you will never get to the point in your life where you want to get so long as you do not get that one thing. And because of that, you cannot stop thinking about it. And the last thing he says, anything I give all my love is an idol. Anything you give all your love is an idol. And so you see in those four sentences right here how this idea of idol is not as distant as we often think it is. We often think that an idol is simply an image that is out there, that is in a church, that is in a culture, something out there that we look at it and people get on their knees, they worship, they cut themselves, they, they offer sacrifice. But as we come here to, re to recognize, it's more than that. It's anything that takes the place in your life that was meant to be solely for God. And we talk about that the problem with idolatry, the problem with idolatry is this, is that at its root, is that it, the problem with idolatry is that it's in the heart. But it shows the self-centeredness that you and I have. It is a problem of the heart that shows the self-centeredness that you and I have. When you think about the things that you devote yourself to, the things that you really want, it's because you're going to get something out of it. Or at least you think you're going to get something out of those things. And so you devote yourself solely to those things. And because of that, they soon become idols in our life. So today we're going to be in Exodus 32. And it is one of those crazy stories, uh, and, and it's actually one of my favorite ones in the Old Testament, because of what is all going on here. And I'm sure that if you've been in church long enough, you definitely heard about this story. Nonetheless, it's something that will address this idea of idol. But it's, that it's, it's the, the, the passage that talks about the golden calf. 
And so in context here, the nation of Israel had been in Egypt. And Moses, God calls Moses to go to Egypt and to deliver the nation of Israel from oppression, from slavery, and to take them to the promised land that God had promised to the nation of Israel. In doing so, God did amazing miracles through Moses. Moses uh, performed the plagues, and he proved to the Pharisee and to the Egyptians and even to the, to the Israelites who God is. From things from, you know, turning the water into blood to oh, spreading the sea, the, the Dead Sea, I believe the Dead Sea, don't quote me on that, to, to spreading the, the sea for them to pass on the other side. For not only that, to go on and to march around a city for 40 days and do nothing but to play the trumpet and to play sound and see the walls falling down. They got to see God showed themselves that he cared for them, that he had a purpose for them in the fact that every day he will send them manna from the sky, enough food for every one of them to eat. And at night when it would be cold and when they would not be able to see where they needed to go, he would provide a, a cloud of fire to provide heat and direction for them to go. This is the God that they, that they have witnessed. And Moses being his prophet who they have heard and seen Moses being used by God multiple times. And yet in this time in the story, Moses finds himself in a mountain and he's having an interaction with God. And while he is in this mountain with God for 40 days, we get to see what the nation of Israel did. And in seeing in their example, you see, we'll see, you and I will see today, what are the things that causes you and me to search for idols, but we will also see what are the effects that the idols will have in our life when we allow them to take uh, presence. So it will be uh, Exodus chapter 30, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together. To, uh, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of the gold and they were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the golden from their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool in hand and, and uh, a graven tool and made out of golden calf. And they say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before him, and Aaron made a proclamation. Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought the peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And, Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, and, I, and this part right here is crazy. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, saying, These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a staff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. I don't know if this gives you chills, but just reading this gives me the chills just to think what is going on in this idea. We just talk about how 
the nation of Israel had experienced firsthand who this God was. They had seen firsthand what God has done for them as a nation. Not only as a nation, but even as individually. Where they were once slaves, where they were once were oppressed, hopeless, where they had nothing. Now God, the God himself, delivered them and he's taking them to a promised land beyond what they could ever imagine. He has taken care of them beyond what they could ever imagine as well. He has been there for them day and night, visually, visually. They could see it. They could taste it. And yet in a moment where God may have seemed distant, they chose quickly to run away from him and to make themselves some idols. So what are some of the causes that you and I experience? What are some other things that, that lead you and me to search for idols? And so we'll start with verse number one. He says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us God who shall go before us for this Moses and the men who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has come to him. So, number one, when we are desperate to get what we want, we soon, when we're desperate, when we're desperate to get what we want, will search for idols. So in this context right here in verse 1, you see that the nation of Israel did not see visually where Moses what, or where, where Moses where. He has been gone for 40 days. And so now they're, because they don't see where Moses was, they want someone that they can turn their attention and that they could devote themselves and ask for direction. And whereas Moses was that visual representation of God to them, now that he's gone, they're quickly searching for other things to fill that gap. And when you're desperate, and when you and I are desperate, we're willing to search for anything to fill that gap in our life. When Think about the things in your life that you want so desperately. Think about those things in your life that you cannot stop thinking about. Those things that you devote all your attention, all of your love. And how, when you're desperate to get those things, you're quickly to turn to the wrong things and embrace them. And without you recognize them, make them your goal or your God's. Think about this idea of loneliness. None of us in this room like to be lonely. We hate that. We will do anything so that we don't feel lonely. And without realizing, you and I could be so quick to turn our attention to a guy or to a girl thinking that if we devote ourselves to those individuals, if we finally get those individuals in our life, then this feeling of loneliness will cease. And without you and I realizing there you have it, your girl, boyfriend and girlfriend becoming your gods. This nation of Israel did not see God, and they went on a limb to say, hey, the guy that took us out of Egypt, he's not longer to be around, so why don't you instead make a God for us? And you soon, think, and you soon will find in your own life that there will be times where you will see a gap, where you may sense God to be distanced, where you may sense things to not be going the way that you want. And so it makes you get desperate. And because you're desperate, you will be quick to turn to the things that you should not be turning and allow them to become gods in your life. Number two, when we are blinded to the true source of what we're looking for. In verse four, it says, And he received the gold from their hands, and fashion it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf, and say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now look at this statement that he put that they have right there. How bold they are to say that this golden calf that they had just built out of earrings and gold that they just gather around, that this unanimated object, 
that cannot speak, that cannot talk, that cannot feel, that cannot do anything is the source as to why they left Egypt. And to look at that thing and to say, this is what we worship. This is what is going to give us the direction. This is who we need to be thankful to. This is the thing who we should worship. This golden calf that we just invented, created, is the reason why we have been fret from the oppression of Egypt. That seems ridiculous. And yet, you and I will tend to do the same things in things in our life. You think that if you are able to get that grade in school, you will finally feel a sense of worth. You really think that if you have all the friends, if you get, uh, make friends with everyone in the school, you will feel this particular way. And you will devote yourself to those particular things in your life, so much so that you think that as long as you have them in your life, you will have everything that you need. And without realizing, we are like the woman at the well who's thirsty, looking for water. And Jesus goes to her and says, the water that you're drinking will make you thirst again. But the life, the water that I have to give you will give you life in abundance. You see, when, when there are things in your life that you want, and you think that those things are the source of getting what you deserve, that those things are the source of getting the things that will make you feel a particular way, that those are the things that will make you feel accomplished, that those are the things that will make you feel like you have value and worth, and you're willing to do anything to embrace them. You're willing to devote yourself to those things you are putting yourself in a position where you are not welcoming idols in your life. Those things, that, that, those actions will lead you to have idols in your life. Number three, in verse five and six, it says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The third thing we see here that will cause you and me to have idols in our life is when we think that the means justify the ends. So in the story, not only did they make idols, not only did they say, hey, let's worship this idol. They even took it the next step and said, hey, tomorrow we're going to celebrate around these idols and we're going to present sacrifices. We're going to do all of these different things to demonstrate how much we love and thankful we are for this unanimated object that has no value, that was just crafted a day before, that meant nothing, that was not there visually when they were living out of Egypt, that was not there when they were oppressed and broken, that was not there when the Egyptians were persecuting them and God and, and the Red Sea was open, that, they were not, that it was not there when they were hungry in the day and, and food fall from the sky, that they were not there, that it was not there when, when, when they were cold at night and fire came from heaven. Yet, we're going to turn all of our devotion, we're going to turn all of our attention, and we're going to worship this object because they are, it is the reason why we are free today. How ridiculous does that sound? And yet, there are things in your life, in my life, that we welcome so freely and so quickly 
that we're willing to justify the means to the ends. For them, it was not only do we have a God that, re, that we can actually represent. This is a representation of the God that we worship. And we're going to honor this by sacrifice. And so even though it's not something that we're supposed to do, we're honoring God because we're going to offer sacrifice. So the means justified the end. And you and I think that often that there are things in our life that so long as the, as the end is worth it, that so, so, so long as what, uh, at the end of it all is honorable, that so long as at the end of it all is something that may bring, bring glory to God, it does not matter how we get there. And when we have that mentality, you quickly we realize that you have now given an opportunity for idols to come in your life. When you think that you can compromise yourself, when you think that you're willing to, that, you're, that it's okay to put your biblical grounds aside, and allow things from this world to take part in your life, you are not have welcome idols in your life. When you think that it doesn't matter how you get to that level of success in your life, so long as you get there and whilst you're there, you can then honor God, then it's okay. See, I, I, to be transparent with you, I had multiple idols in my life. And even today, as a 30-year-old and as a pastor, I still wrestle with idols in my life. But I remember when I was in your shoes, how I went from one to the next one to the next one to the next one. It may start with playing video games. I was obsessed with video games. So much so, believe it or not, that I was able to learn Portuguese because of how much I play video games. I, was, I had, I had, I had a, a server that I was playing that... Uh, it was only in Portuguese, and so because there's some similarities with Spanish and Portuguese, I will use Google Translator to the point that I was able to have full conversations on Portuguese. But video games, if the parents tell you ever that you cannot learn anything, ha, I got them. Uh, if video games, in that moment, video games was an idol for me. I will devote myself for it. I remember that there was a time my, my aunt came and she was staying in my room. We had two beds in my room. I shared a room with my brother and she was staying with me. And I woke up in the middle of the night, it was like 4 a.m., to play because there was like a special event on this game and I didn't want to miss it. Like, how ridiculous is that to wake up? Like, it's one thing if you're staying up all the way to 4. No, I woke up during school week just to play that, game, that, that event and then go to bed. I was obsessed with it. I could not stop thinking about it. That was my idol. But then I outgrew it. Then it became sport. I love baseball. So much so that I wanted to be the next big poppy. I devoted myself to it. I will play as much as I can. I could think myself, when I went to bed, all I could think going to bed is me being a professional baseball player. So much so that when I couldn't fall asleep, I would start dreaming of the scenarios where I was a professional baseball player. It consumed me. It devoted me. My mood, my emotions... How I felt that day was what's all influenced by whether or not I did well in baseball. But then that changed. Then it was relationship. I was 17 years old, and up to that point, I never had a girlfriend. Now, if you're 17 years old and you have had a girlfriend, good for you. But if you haven't, then you know how hard that is for a guy to feel lonely. I felt lonely. And so I devoted myself to this idea of finding a special girl, thinking that a girl will fulfill that desire. And so I was willing to compromise my, 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 my beliefs. I was willing to do things that I knew were wrong. I was willing to just say whatever I needed to say. 
just so that I could find a special one. And without realizing my emotions, my personality, everything was influenced on those things. But then that wasn't enough. I moved to the next thing. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to have money. I wanted to have a really nice car. I wanted to go and show up to my friends everything that I had to. So I devoted myself to go to school and to go for a degree where I could make the most money, where I could make the most prestige for me, and so that people would look at me and be impressed by everything that I had. And so it confused me to the point that when I was not able to get those things, it affected me. And I could go on and on and on on examples. That nonetheless, the point that I'm trying to make is that you and I have things in our life that we may be naive to about, we may be clueless to it, but the reality is that they are idols that are residing, that they're welcome, that they're lasting, and that they're influencing your life to devote yourself to them opposed to devote yourself to God. There are things, whether it's because you're desperate Better because, whether it's because you're blinded to where the sources are or because you think that the means justify the end, you'll soon find that there are idols in your life that you have welcomed. And here's where it gets sad. It's because those idols in your life have an effect in our life. Effects that are not good, effects that you, as we're going to dive in, you'll see will do a damage in your life if you don't deal with them quickly. Number one, you'll see in verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go down, for you peop- go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. This is God. I mean, I don't want to put myself in the place of God, but just think what is going on here. Moses is just there having an interaction with God. That would have been a picture, that would have been an experience of his own. And now God is interrupting this interaction by telling Moses, hey, you need to go down and deal with these people. These people that we have fought, that we have blessed and fought and be there for them through all this time. And now they're turning their side away. They're corrupting themselves because they now have welcome idols in their life. The first thing that you will see that would happen to you and me when we allow idols is that it will corrupt us. This word corrupt, corrupt, uh, corruption carries a, a very disgusting and ugly meaning. When something is corrupt, it's not serving its purpose. When something is corrupt, it's in a sense useless. When something is corrupt, it loses its value. When something is corrupt, it needs to be fixed. And so without you and I recognizing, when we allow idols in our life, we're corrupting ourselves. Where we allow things in our life to, set, to dictate what we do, how we do it, how we feel, and what we not feel. And because of that, that corruption will keep you and me from doing what we're supposed to do. We're called to live in a way that honors God. We believe here that we're to boldly share Christ in all areas of your life. But so long as there's idols in your life, you will be corrupted and you will not be able to do those things. It will corrupt you. Number two, he turns us aside from what we know is right. In verse 8 it says, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We talk about in the first sermon how God clearly told them that they were not to, keep, to worship any God, let alone create idols. And now they have turned aside from what God told them because they have welcomed idols in their life. And now they're doing what is wrong. 
when you and I welcome idols in our life, the effect that it will have in your life and in my life is that it will influence us to do the things that we know well that we shouldn't be doing. Because you think that a girl or guy will bring you that satisfaction that you so desperately want, you're willing to sacrifice everything that you know to is, that is right to go after that one thing. When you think that just because you can go to school and you can be good at sport and you, once you get that moment you have value and worth and people will respect you and appreciate you when you th- because you think those things are true, you're willing to do whatever is right. You're willing to sacrifice what you know is right so long as you can do those things. When you know that you're to, that you're to honor your parents, when you know that you are to love your siblings, when you know that you're supposed to do those things, but because you want to make yourself look like you're a bigger man, like you're a bigger girl, like you're more adult, more independent, you're willing to sacrifice what is right so that you can do those things. So you soon will see that idols will corrupt you, but it also will persuade you to do things, to, to turn the wrong direction. And then ultimately, in, in verse 9 and 10, we'll see that it will make us obstinate. Obstinate. Nailed it. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me, alo- let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make of them a great nation. Look what he's saying here, and this is scary, and, I, and we're going to address this next week. Jesus is looking at Moses, and he's saying, hey, look, the people that we have dealt with, the people that this nation of Israel who should be honoring me, who should be worshiping me, they have turned aside from the things that they know is right. They have created this golden calf, and now they're worshiping as if, they, if that golden calf is the very reason why they're free. And then he says, now let me deal with them because they're obstinate people. They're stiff-necked people. They don't understand. They don't listen. And let my wrath deal with them. See, we live in a world and we live in a culture today that we don't really talk about God's wrath. We don't, even, we don't even know how to put that into words, let alone discuss it. But that is something serious right there that he's saying. That is something scary. That the God of the universe, the creator of the world, all-powerful, all-knowing, is going to turn his attention to this people and let his wrath Loose. You think your parents' wrath is something to be scared of? You think your teacher's wrath is something to be scared of? You think Raphael is something to be scared of? Nice. Uh, that right, Stewie? Um, you, don't have, you don't have any idea how much scary it is to deal with the wrath of God. You don't even want to imagine it. But here you see that that's what God is saying to Moses that he's going to do with his people. Now, next week we're going to turn out that Moses is going to intercede, and that's not going to happen. But when it comes to idols in our life, it makes you and me obstinate. And this is what it means. It means that you and I get to a point where we think that we know best. We get to a point where we're not willing to give way because we are so committed, so devoted to keeping those idols in our life that we are willing to let anything else fly and go by us so long as we keep our idols. 
that I can come here on Sunday as a pastor and tell you, hey, this X, Y, and thing, X, Y, and C in your life is wrong. And all that you're sitting there and you know very well that those things are wrong because you have welcome idols in your life, because you have so embraced the idols in your life, you're willing to say, I could care less what you're telling me is wrong. I am going to hold on to this. I could care less that these things that I have welcomed in my life are leading me astray, are leading me on a path that is dishonoring to God, that is going to corrupt me, that is going to destroy me. I'm willing to go on that path and let go of those things because I want to hold dear to these idols that I have welcomed in my life. And that is what idols do in your life and in my life. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes, bow your heads, don't be a distraction. And I'm sure that by this sermon or so, we have talked about this twice, I'm sure that there are things in your life that you know are idols. Or things, and if you're here saying, yeah, Eric, I don't have no idols in my life. Okay, then there are things in your life that you know have the potential of becoming idols in your life. We have talked about what they do in your life and what they can do to your life. We have talked about how it's something that you're not to just welcome it and let it be there. We talk about how it's something that corrupts you, that leads you in a path that is astray, and ultimately it puts you in a position where you don't want to welcome direction from God. Think about that idol. And the question I want to ask you, is that idol worth so much that you're not willing to give it up? Is that idol so much worth that you're willing to hold on to that and to say no to everything else that God has to offer for you? See, we think that idols will, bring, will give us things that will make us feel good. Things that will make us feel better, will give us purpose, value. But it's quite the opposite. They destroy us. They corrupt us. They push us in a direction that is further from God. It's the 